Greetings, gamers. I'm Bedroth. And I'm Shootkabow. And you're listening to episode 4-2 of Very Good Music. A VGM podcast. Well, everyone, it's another week, and we're talking about another composer. Shukapow, how has your week been? Um, kind of boring. Yeah, because you've been stuck at home in quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> um, my buddy RJ told me about this uh, cool mother fan game called Mother Cognitive Dissonance, or Cognis for short. Oh, yeah? I'm thinking of trying it out. I think I read about that in Nintendo Force recently. I had a couple of Nintendo Force issues to catch up with. One of them was about Skyward Sword and other, like, ups and downs in video games. Um, Because Skyward Sword is full of literal ups and downs, but also figurative ups and downs as a game. And then the next issue I was really excited about, it was about the uh, Ninja Turtles and their history in video games. Um, focusing also on the upcoming Shredder's Revenge, which I am super excited about. Uh, the game and also the soundtrack, because T. Lopes, the guy who did the Sonic Mania soundtrack, is the composer for yeah, Shredder's Revenge. Sonic Mania. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Uh, T. Lopes is kind of sort of inheriting the Jake Kaufman mantle right now. He's doing a lot of similar type of work as Jake was when he was first really breaking into the video game music scene. So I'm excited to see where where T's trajectory goes. And, you know, we might just have to uh, feature some of his stuff on the podcast at some point. Perhaps. But we're not talking about any of those folks tonight. Shukapow, who is our spotlight on this evening? Um, you know, I feel like, I feel like you should... Uh... You should be the guy since this is sort of your episode. (laughs) Yeah, so I am very excited because we are talking about, uh, yeah, six days out of seven, my favorite BGM composer, the one and only Yoko Shimomura. Now, Shukapau, when I say Yoko Shimomura, what game series do you think of? Mario and Luigi. Yeah, that, that one first. And Mario RPG. Yeah. So the Mario RPGs, except for Paper Mario. Yeah. Um, what other series do you think about? Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm, obviously. And for me, the other thing I think of immediately is Street Fighter. Uh, Street Fighter 2. It's interesting because, unlike Kingdom Hearts and Mario & Luigi, she was only really involved in the first iteration of Street Fighter 2. But her music is still being built on um, in current Street Fighter games. So that really is a testament to her skill because, as you're going to hear, because we're going chronologically again this episode, Street Fighter 2 was one of her earliest works. So it's really, really crazy that that continues to be a legacy. And it's one that she talks about a lot in interviews when when she talks about uh, you know games that mean a lot to her and were turning points in her career. So why don't you take a look at our notes here and tell us when was uh, Yoko Shimomura born? Um, Yoko Shimomura was born in 1967. Yep, and her birthday, October 19th. Do you know 
Does that date sound familiar at all to you? From your birthday. It is nine days away from mine. It is also exactly your grandpa's birthday. My oh, dad. Wow. Yeah. That's Yoko cool. Shimomura is exactly 24 years younger than grandpa. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and she has worked in the video game industry ever since she graduated from the Osaka College of Music in 1988, which is the year that I started kindergarten. <laughs> So she has been working in video games since I was in grade school, literally. From 88 to 93, she worked for Capcom. We're going to feature a few of her songs from that period. Then from 93 until 2002, she worked for Square, uh, where she composed a total of eight games. And then she moved on and became a freelancer, which she has been for all going on 20 years now. She has composed the soundtracks to over 45 different games. She's one of the biggest names in the video game music industry and has been described as one of the most famous video game music composers in the world, possibly the most famous female video game music composer. And I've got to give props to Capcom because they had a lot of female composers way back in the late 80s. And it's really the Japanese composer market is much more much more equal that way than I think any of the other composer markets. And I think it's just because video games and gaming in general is just so much a part of their culture that it's not associated with boys the same way that it was a lot in America and Europe, that video games were kind of boy things. And I I really, I think that that's, that's really great because if it hadn't been the case, we would have missed out on great VGM composers like Michiro Yamane of Castlevania fame, Manami Matsumai, and Hiromi Fujita of Mega Man, um, Junko Tamiya, another Capcom composer, Soya Oka of Mario Karts, and just a a lot of really, really great music composed by female VGM composers. So she actually started out wanting to be a uh, piano teacher. She started playing piano around the age of four or five, and she began composing her own music by playing the piano randomly and pretending to compose, eventually coming up with actual compositions. So again, similar to what we heard from Rastori Mitsuda last week and also what you do. When she graduated uh, at the age of 20, she actually intended to become a piano instructor and was offered a job to be a piano teacher, but she had also been an avid gamer for many years. She actually told Satoru Iwata in an interview with the uh, Xenoblade team that we referred to last week in the Mitsuda episode that she, <laughs> um, when she got Super Mario Brothers, she actually stayed up um, way too late playing the game, and when she went to her uh, piano lessons the next day her hands were so sore from playing the game the night before that she couldn't play and her piano teacher's like well if you love this you know love these video games so much you should just go into video games instead of going into piano and years later that's actually what she did and her family was not super excited about her doing this because they you know had paid her tuition for this expensive music school in Osaka and they couldn't understand why she wanted to do this but she interviewed at Capcom, was offered a job, and her first years were not super easy there. She said, I mean, she had focused on piano in college, not composition. So in her early days, she said that she got really down sometimes. She even cried on her way home sometimes. But the Capcom team was pretty supportive of each other, kind of like we heard from the Square team last week. Um, She says that she took inspiration from composers like Mozart, Chopin, and, and Maurice Ravel, and also from video game composers. Specifically, she mentioned Koji Kondo. 
She described his sense of melody as like an earworm sense of melody that encouraged her to approach scoring um, the same way that she might approach like crafting jingles for radio, something that would be memorable for the listener. And I think you definitely hear that in, in her style. What do you think? Yeah. Especially with the Street Fighter themes, those are catchy. Like you can remember all of them really easily. Well, the first soundtrack she worked on at Capcom was called Samurai Sword. I almost picked something from this game, but there were uh, there are a lot of things. Uh, in fact, it might stand out to a lot of people that there are two games specifically that are missing from the list tonight. Or today, this afternoon, whenever it is you listen. I say tonight all the time, and y'all know by now that, you know, I just mean right now. Um, there's no Kingdom Hearts on the list tonight. There were several tracks that were kind of on the short list from Kingdom Hearts, but eventually we're probably going to do an episode that's just focused on like Disney music and games, at least one episode, and so I'm sure we're going to talk about Kingdom Hearts at that point. And one of the things that was like a decider for me in how I picked some of my songs is that if I knew we were probably going to focus on a game at some point in the future, I didn't focus on it as much. Another one that was almost, I actually had a track from Final Fantasy 15 on my list right up until almost the very last minute, and I subbed it out for one of my, uh, actually one of my earlier picks. But for anybody who is interested in hearing uh, Shimamura's amazing work on Final Fantasy XV, the Super Marcano Bros are actually releasing an episode. Um, I believe it's coming out the week before. Actually, I think it came out today as we record this on Sunday the 12th. That is just about Yoko's work in Final Fantasy XV. So if you want more Shimamura, go check that out. We did hear Kingdom Hearts in the introduction. For anybody who didn't recognize that tune, that was Dearly Beloved. And this was actually the version specifically from Kingdom Hearts 1.5 Remix, which came out for the PS3 in 2013. Um, game was published by Square Enix, of course. But we are actually alternating tonight. That's kind of a happy accident. Uh, we're going back and forth because that's just still chronological, but that's just kind of how it fell. I did finagle that a little bit because there's a Xenoblade Chronicles track, but we're actually playing the version from Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, and so that kind of kept the pattern <laughs> going the way that we wanted it to. But Shukapau, what is our first track of the evening? Alright, first up we have Round 5 Bay Area from Final Fight. Yes, Final Fight was published by Capcom in 1990, and actually it was originally published in 1989 for the arcade. We're going to be playing the SNES version from 1990 because it just sounds better. So, here we go. Once again, this is Round 5 Bay Area.
round five Bay Area from Final Fight. Yes, and as I said, that was the Super NES version. I just think that the the sound is a little bit cleaner than it was on the arcade. But this was, I mean, obviously this is kind of primitive compared to even what we heard coming in with Dearly Beloved. One of the comments that I really loved from last week is that uh, somebody said they were really, uh, it was Prof Jeff actually said he was really, it was really amazing to him that the composer at the end of that Mitsuda episode was the same as the composer at the beginning. Like, you really kind of heard the journey that, that he went on, and I really think that that's going to be a cool feature of some of these these episodes that we do. Um, Skeletroy actually talked about the same thing, that those, even as catchy as the early music was, that the later music really showed that Mitsuda was a master of his craft. And you're going to hear some of that with this tonight. But think about, this was composed, it was her second game for the company. She had just gotten out of college a year before. She's 21 years old. She really only knows piano. And then she makes this. <laughs> this is quintessential Capcom sound. And it was in one of their earliest Super NES games. And this really, like, you can hear Mega Man in this. You can hear influence way down the line. Uh, it's interesting. Final Fight most often is credited to either Manami Matsumai or Yoshihiro Sakaguchi, who often is referred to as Yuka-chan's Papa. <laughs> uh, a lot of these Capcom composers had their own sort of, what do you call those, like pen names or, or aliases or whatever. Yasuaki Fujita is called Bun Bun. I forget, I really, I had this written down and I, I, I've lost it in my notes, but I forget what Yoko Shimomura's... Um, nickname was, but she she had one as well early on. But this game, Final Fight, was actually the work of seven sound composers. This came out in the liner notes of a 2014 um, like compilation Capcom disc. Um, and that includes Manami Matsumai, uh, Yoshihiro Sakaguchi, Harumi Fujita, Junko Tamiya, Yasuaki Fujita in his first work for Capcom, uh, Hiromitsu Takaoka, and Yoko Shimomura. So, some really big names there, and she was one of them. And I think that a lot of them went on um, and formed Capcom's like in-house band, uh, like a lot of the sound teams did. And so, really, really cool group of people there. And um, this work, if you listen to the Final Fight soundtrack, it's right up there with the rest of them. But you actually picked this one, and I was pleasantly surprised, because uh, I wasn't sure how much of the earlier work you were going to go for. But why do you think you, why do you think this one stood out to you? Well, I mean, it just it just sounds good. I liked it. It's classic Capcom. What do you think that lead instrument would be? I feel like that sounds kind of like a, a saxophone. That's exactly what I thought. And maybe that's why you like it, too. You like, you like jazzy. I like um, jazzy. That's why I want to get a saxophone, a trombone, go on a trumpet. <laughs> You just want to become a one-man jazz band. You can you can be like Insane in the Rain and just record your own jazz remixes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. That, that reminds me of something. Is that Quick Man? That's Mega Man 2. Anyway. I feel like it's Mega Man 3. That's really interesting. Huh. That, that would have been around the same time as this. So... That's funny. I wonder if she like overheard, or if somebody overheard a little bit of a melody and kind of that riff made it its way into both songs. You hear that in Capcom games quite a bit. But speaking of Capcom, we are going to move on to the next game. But first, a little bit more about Shimomura. So 
This is not classical piano. This is probably not most of what she would have studied in college. But she actually says that in addition to some of her favorite classical composers, I've already mentioned a few of them, but like uh, Beethoven, Chopin, Ravel, Mozart, um, she also really enjoys lounge-style jazz, and she had for a long time. And her influences, uh, even though they're mostly classical, she has said that her style has changed dramatically over the years, um, though her passion for music stays the same. Some of the different styles that she's used and some of what you're going to hear tonight include rock, electronica, oriental, ambient, industrial, pop, symphonic, operatic, uh, chiptune, and even more. We'll come up on that chiptune here in a minute. She often draws her inspirations, like we talked about Mitsuda last week, is often inspired by visual things like paintings or, or scenic vistas. She is often inspired by things that she just does in her normal day-to-day life and things that move her emotionally, that songs will just kind of come to her while she's having a moment. She says it can be a beautiful picture, uh, scenery, tasting something delicious, a scent that brings back a memory, happy and sad things. For her, music is tied to emotion, and that's where kind of where her kind of creative process comes from. She wants her music to convey a subtle message that comes from your imagination and sticks with the listener without being overly specific about what it means. So she's about, she's a very emotional composer. <laughs> you're, you're thinking of Dearly Beloved again, huh? Yeah, definitely. That's, I mean, just if you listen to that, it, it's really, really cool. And what we're actually, what we're playing next kind of comes back to that. This, again, is primitive sound. Uh, we're going to be listening to a medley of songs from Disney's Adventures in the Magic Kingdom for the NES, which I have played Final Fight. Final Fight is fun. Uh, beat-em-ups are not, like, super my jam. My favorite ones were the Turtle games, and even those, I've played some of them recently, and they get a little bit boring after a while. Final Fight is really good. It's really fun. And it's one of the best beat-em-ups that I, I have played that didn't involve turtles. This next one, though, this is a special game for me. I eventually went back and beat it when I was older. I couldn't ever really figure out how to beat it when I was a kid. We'll talk a little more about the game when we come back, because you've never even seen this game, have you? Adventures in the Magic Kingdom on the NES? Uh, no. I would really tried to find some commentary about this, because it's really interesting that, that she was chosen to, to do this. This game never came out in Japan. It only came out in parts of Europe and in the States, probably because back then Disney was mostly a Western thing. But this music sounds... Man, I wish we could have got Mother 3 <laughs> instead of this. Well, Mother 3 only came out in Japan. This one only came out in the States. We could have traded. traded. <laughs> well, this was a fun game. And... We're going to listen to four short tracks, each of which accompanies a different attraction that serve as like the stages in this game. And uh, we'll, we'll, the order that we're going to be listening to them in is Pirates of the Caribbean, The Haunted Mansion, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and Space Mountain. Once again, this is from Disney's Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, released by Capcom for the NES in 1990.
right, once again, that was uh, what I'm calling the Attraction Medley, because it's four different attractions from this fake Disney park in Adventures in the Magic Kingdom. We started with Pirates of the Caribbean, then went to the Haunted Mansion, then Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and then Space Mountain. Uh, Shukapow, what did you think of those? That was, that was, that was nice. Do you have a favorite of the four that you just heard? So the first one... Space Mountain is a lot of fun. Uh, that <laughs> that was probably the hardest of the mini games, but it was a lot of fun. And really, that track is just... It's lightning fast. And each of these different attractions, there were six of them. One of the things you had to do, you're going around and trying to collect these keys uh, to open the park, I believe. One of the things you had to do is go around and like answer trivia. And I didn't even pick up on this until I was much older. Uh, I thought it was just random people you were going around and talking to. But there are, I believe, six different attractions. In addition to these four, there's also a racing game, and then, no, maybe it is, maybe there are five, and then a racing game, and then the sixth key. Yeah, the sixth key is the trivia. But Space Mountain is like a reflex testing game. You're flying through this almost 3D-looking star field, and you have to a button or a direction will pop up on the bottom of the screen, like an arrow, and you have to push the A or the B button or the direction that it flashes up before you run into an asteroid. So you have to like push it before, while you still have time. And so that was kind of hard. Big Thunder Mountain Railroad was just kind of annoying and you had to do it over and over again because it was a train and you start at the top of the screen, it's top down, you start at the top of the screen and you're going down and you have to select the right track and avoid boulders. And the longer you go, the faster your train gets and the more the music speeds up. Haunted Mansion and the Pirates of the Caribbean were both side-scrolling like platformer type stages. And they were pretty fun, uh, but what, one thing I want you to, to listen to, if you go back and like listen to these tracks, the NES had four sound channels. There were two square wave channels, a triangle channel, and then a noise channel. And Shimamura is using absolutely like each one of those to the nth degree in these songs. Um, it's really impressive what all she's able to pack in. And especially in the Pirates of the Caribbean, you listen to that secondary triangle or the secondary square instrument and some of the harmonies that she gets out of that. And then the Haunted Mansion, you can hear that do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And then like the second part will come in and sort of echo that and it'll keep rolling back on itself, almost like a Bach uh, fugue or something. And you, you can really hear some of her talent in, in this really early game. I've been talking about this a lot, but next we are going to move on to your second track. And this is probably her first major hit. This came out the year after uh, Final Fight on the SNES and Adventures in the Magic Kingdom on the NES. It was first released for arcades in 1991. And Shukapau, what game am I talking about? Street Fighter 2. Yes, we have already played some Shimura on the podcast. Uh, a couple of Kingdom Hearts games, uh, I believe um, some Mario RPG stuff, and maybe a Mario and Luigi track as well. Uh, but we've also played both Ken's stage and Guile's stage from Street Fighter 2. And of course, Guile's theme is probably the most famous theme from this game. But this one that we're playing tonight is also really, really strong. 
I thought that you might pick Ryu's theme, because it's another classic and we haven't played it yet. And yeah, it's familiar, and you, a lot of times, you'll go with kind of what's familiar. But you went for this one, and I'm really glad you did. Shukapo, what are we going to be listening to next? Next up, we have Vega's theme from Street Fighter 2. Vegas theme from Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 The World Warrior was first released for arcades in 1991. Why did you pick Vegas theme, Shukapau? I liked how it sounded. <laughs> so, what style of music is this? Do you know? It's, it's flamenco. And you recently came across flamenco in that uh, Insane in the Rain it was Insane in the Rain, right? Who did the like reimaginings of Hollow Knight themes? I actually mentioned him earlier. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, he did. Hornet's theme was in like a flamenco style. Yeah. Uh, what country did flamenco originate in? Like Spain or something. Yeah. Where's Vega from? Spain, maybe. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> so, good stuff. So, anything in particular that you want to say about this composition? Why doesn't anyone ever talk about Street Fighter One? <laughs> because it wasn't very good. Um, you could only play as Ryu unless there was a player two who could play as Ken, <laughs> who controlled exactly the same as Ryu, and it was basically just a palette swap. But it just—it wasn't as memorable. It wasn't as good. Street Fighter Two set the standard for fighting games moving forward, and in a lot of ways, when you listen to a lot of fighting game music, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of fighting game music is definitely inspired by, by Shimamura's style and her approach to these things. Uh, underneath our talking, you're going to hear a different version of Vegas theme playing, which Shimamura also is responsible for. This was the re 
the remix or reimagining of Vega's theme from Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS, which was one of the few remixes that was done for that when Ryu was first announced for Smash. One of the other remixes is actually Guile's theme, uh, remixed by Yuzo Koshiro, or arranged by Yuzo Koshiro, so that one's really cool. Uh, Koshiro may also be popping up a little bit later in the season as well. There has been so much said about Street Fighter 2, um, and I mean, I've already talked a lot about Shimomura's impact. Uh, there were a few tracks that were handled by somebody who was a newcomer at the time, Isao Abe, who did Sagat Slim and also did the Versus screen and the Here Comes a New Challenger jingle. And Abe actually would go on to become one of the main composers on the Street Fighter series moving forward. There's another uh, little anecdote I'd like to share that I, I read in an interview that Shimomura did um, that has to do a little bit with this track. She says, I remember feeling really impressed when I took a trip to Spain. There was a Spanish bar, a place kind of like a cafe where you could eat some food, and uh, in the bar there was a Street Fighter 2 machine right there, and some kids were playing on it. And kids kept coming in to play, not eating or drinking anything, just coming in to play the game. Well, kids from the neighborhood would come in from outside and go straight to the machine and start fighting. And these Spanish kids were saying, Dosukoi! which is a sumo exclamation. Side note, E. Honda says this as one of his sort of victory shouts. And Shimomura at that time thought it was so cool sitting there in that bar. And she said, I felt kind of proud. I was really, really happy. I feel happy that so many kids overseas learned just that little bit of Japanese <laughs> from this game that she was involved with. Uh, she didn't think that that would happen at all. And so, uh, again, just getting the most out of life and soaking in these sorts of experiences. And I've got a little bit more to say about this, but um, do you have anything else you'd like to say about this track or just Street Fighter 2 music in general? Um, Spain, I guess. If you had to put this up against other themes like Chun-Li or Guile or Ryu or Ken, do you think it like stands on the same level as those? Yeah, yeah. This is probably my favorite of the uh, the, the four boss themes. Um, and for anybody who is listening outside of the States, uh, Vega, of course, this is the theme for the ninja, the Spanish ninja in Japan and in some other places. Um, the character, the dictator, who we know is in Bison, is actually called Vega. And that's pretty common knowledge, so I won't dig too deep into that, but... I will say that uh, there was another part of an interview where Shimomura was asked if she expected, given that she was still kind of a new employee at the time and a new composer, she was asked if she expected Street Fighter 2's music to create the massive impact that it has, and if she had a favorite stage theme. And to the second one, she said that Street Fighter 2 was really her baby, and it's difficult to pick a favorite stage theme, that she didn't expect the music to create quite as much impact as it did, that she still follows the music of the series quite closely, which I can't blame her. If I'd composed something that was still being done and redone and redone, you know, I would, I would want to be in, involved in that as well. She said she has lots of great memories about the project. Um, one thing that she pointed out specifically was performing piano for a medley at the Game Music Festival. And I believe that would have been one of the first times that she performed her own work publicly. And she's done that, of course, now famously a lot over the years. Final Fight was actually the first of her, the, the soundtrack she worked on to get a separate soundtrack release, but Street Fighter 2 has had, of course, a lot of releases over the years. 
so we're going to be jumping ahead in time just a little bit. She was still with Capcom for a couple more years after this. And she worked on The King of Dragons, which is a really great uh, fantasy-style beat-em-up. And this was the kind of thing she really kind of wanted to get into. She really wanted to compose for, like, fantasy-type RPG settings. But before she left Capcom, she worked with uh, Masaki Izutani for a couple of games uh, called Block Block and Varth Operation Thunderstorm. Then she teamed up with Isao Abe again on the Punisher arcade game in 1993, which has a very distinctive Street Fighter II-esque sound. And one of the last things she did for Capcom was compose the Trade City music for that particular area of the Capcom RPG Breath of Fire. But that was about as far as she got to go on RPGs with Capcom. And the very next year, in uh, actually, that year, 1993, she would leave and move to Square. And the first game that she composed for Square is an RPG that, like Mother 3, is a Japanese exclusive. And like Mother 3, a lot of people wanted to come here. And it is called Live Alive. Uh, it's L-I-V-E space A space L-I-V-E. I've heard it called Live Alive, but according to a couple of the podcasts I heard about Shimomura, the official pronunciation in English would be Live Alive. We're going to talk a little about this game when we come back, but you actually saw the name of this track a minute ago, and this track, it is always spelled in all caps on the soundtracks, like another Undertale. like another song, yeah, that has kind of a similar spelling in its game. In Undertale, the song is called Megalovania, and we're going to talk about the loose connection that it has to this song, but from Live Alive... This is called Megalomania. Megalomania. Megalomania, and it is the final boss theme from Live Alive. This is not the song that plays when you fight Sans.
That was Megalomania from Live Alive, published by Square for the Super Famicom in 1994. What did you think of that, Chukapow? <laughs> you think that the, the sound of this track might possibly have influenced Toby Fox a little bit? Perhaps, maybe. <laughs> that B section, especially, where it goes that organ sound in the background, just really, really super cool. We also spent like 10 minutes <laughs> listening to Siva Gutter. We did go on a, a little bit of a Siva Gutter deep dive. It was actually only about four minutes, but it felt longer than that because oh, we listened wow. to a lot. He has so many versions of Megalomania, <laughs> Megalovania, <laughs> and he has a couple of different versions of Megalomania as well. One of them is kind of a mashup. Uh, there's actually a, an intentional mashup out there as well, which is is pretty cool. So, after writing music for Capcom on multiple projects, Shimomura moved to Square in 1993, and again, her main reason was wanting to compose for RPGs. She really wanted to compose for fantasy RPGs, which Live Alive is not, but uh, it was her first major RPG composition and her first job after arriving at Square. The sound design on this game and some of the sound effects were actually done by Yasunori Mitsuda, so I believe this was also the first time that the two of them worked together. The uh, game follows seven distinct scenarios, each with its own sort of protagonist, across different time periods, uh, with two or more unlockable scenarios linking the narratives together. Time periods, like Chrono Trigger. Yes, yes, except that instead of the protagonist going through time chasing the big bad, uh, this actually has different protagonists that don't ever really like meet up, I don't think, but they fight the same big bad guy, the antagonist, whose name is Odio, and uh, so it sounds really, really cool. Like, this game sounds like it would be a like, lot of fun. Like, Refugee, that one, that one book. Yeah, I like that book because it follows its different time periods, but there's sort of a connection between them, yeah. Now, as with the rest of the game, Shimomura's work is designed to like reflect the different eras in which the narrative is set. So if you listen to this soundtrack, it's really, really varied because different tracks sort of belong to different eras in the game. Actually, it also kind of reminds me of, of the Mother series because in the first game, You've got Ninten and the gang going off to fight Guy, mm -hmm. the bad guy who eventually turns into Gaigus and fights Ness. And then. And corrupts Porky. Yeah, so then Porky escapes to like the islands in Mother 3 that are like, I think, a lot of time in the future. Mm -hmm. And then Lucas fights, fights Porky. But this all happens across one single game, and so I, I feel like it's pretty obvious that this, along with Earthbound, is one of the, the influences. Uh, but this is the final boss theme. Um, it was written to be frenetic and exciting. Do you think it accomplished that? Yes. <laughs> um, I'm starting to uh, RJ actually told me a little bit ago that there's an unused line in Mother 3. Um, so, you know, Dr. And Donuts is in Mother 3. Mm -hmm. And one of his one of his unused lines is, "You remind me of uh, my son's friend." Oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. That's pretty it's, cool. It's cool. Well, another connection I think to Mother Three is you hear the organ a lot in Shogo Sakai's Mother Three, and the motif that Shimomura actually used for Odeo uses a, a pipe organ uh, instrument on the SNES uh, sound fonts, and she incorporates that. 
into Megalomania to reference his recurring threat because Odio sort of pops up in the different time periods, but this is when you finally fight, like, the final version of him at the end. On, uh, this track was re-released on the 2014 compilation album Memoria, which we'll talk about a little more later on, and was also used as DLC for 2015's Theus Rhythm Final Fantasy Curtain Call. So this song has actually been in a game with a Western release, but the game itself has never been released in the West. <laughs> and uh, there was a fan translation uh, by given by the online group Aeon Genesis. That's yeah, A-E-O-N. So you could play it if you wanted to. Um, I may seek that out at some point. I still have a lot of games I need to play, but this one is definitely... It looks really interesting. Speaking of the internet, regarding this name's similarity to Megalovania... I did some digging, and I uncovered a quote from the archives of the Starman.net forums. Speaking of Starman.net, for some reason that's blocked on the school Chromebooks. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, as a forum, there probably are like several forums that you can't get to. They're just kind of like hit and miss, but some of them will, will like register as forums, and some of them won't, and so different firewalls won't won't pick them up. But this isn't even on the forums anymore, like publicly. You have to go into like the archives of the websites, like the, the the cache from different time periods, but I couldn't tell if this was actually a quote from Toby Fox or if it's commentary from a fan, but this is what the quote says. Name-wise, yes, it is a Megalovania is a direct reference to Megalomania from Live Alive. I've seen a few people pick up on that because that's cool. The chords are kind of similar, but I wouldn't say it's a huge inspiration for the composition of Megalovania itself, but it's Megalovania is totally attempting to be be the same kind of song that might be suitable for a similar purpose. So there has been some talk on Starman.net forums about the connection between these two songs. So, But did you like it? Yes. Cool. Well, we're still on Super NES, and we have one more to go before we get into kind of some of the more modern systems. Uh, Shimomura did quite a bit, but we're still only up to 1996. This is uh, eight years into her um, sort of as a composer. I, uh, I got to use that word on um, a comment on YouTube, and I was very proud of myself. It's kind of like your discography, or your, it's your body of work. Your ovoir, O-U-V-R-E, I believe. Anyway, after Live Alive, Shimomura was selected to be one of the compositional pioneers of the Front Mission series in 1995. We actually played a Front Mission spinoff, a song from a Front Mission spinoff game, Front Mission Gun Hazard, which Nobuo Uematsu and Yasunori Mitsuda worked on. But um, Shimomura worked on it with Noriko Matsueda, and one of Matsueda's compositions on that is the bar theme, which was the theme song for the VGM Jukebox, one of the first VGM podcasts I ever listened to. So, a little connection there. I almost had some front mission on the show tonight, but like I said, we already have quite a bit of this, and especially after I subbed out my Final Fantasy XV track for Live Alive's uh, Megalomania, I... Really, really didn't want to backload it too much with the older stuff. The next game, though, is the one we're going to be talking about. This one is very special, and it's really interesting, I think, that Shimomura is the composer for this. I'll talk a little bit about why when we come back. But, Shukapau, what are we going to be listening to next? Um, we're going to be listening to Hello, Happy Kingdom from Super Mario RPG. The Legend of the Seven Stars. 
that was Hello Happy Kingdom from Super Mario RPG Legend of the Seven Stars. That has eight words in it. Oh boy. <laughs> it's a long title. Published by Square in 1996 for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Honestly, you don't even need to include the Super, and most people just say Mario RPG. The Super is just self-explanatory at this point. It's just there on every single Mario game, except the very first one. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, so... Very cool. I mean, I've talked about this game and how special it is to me. It was on the My Favorite Games episode, and you picked Beware of the Forest Mushrooms because it's an amazing song. Uh, there is going to be more Super Mario RPG in the future of this podcast. It's one of... Uh, it's just... It's, a, it's an amazing soundtrack. It's an amazing game. I love it so much. And she actually, as we've talked about a little bit, has in, she also incorporated elements of Koji Kondo's Super Mario themes for the original Super Mario, I believe also Mario 2 and 3. Super Mario that you stayed up all night playing. And definitely some Super Mario World. Yeah, so it kind of comes full circle here eight years later. She gets to actually use Mario music in this game. She also incorporated three tracks uh, by Nobuo Uematsu from Final Fantasy IV. Um, she regards Super Mario RPG as one of the turning points in her career as a composer, along with Street Fighter II and Kingdom Hearts. And she was actually working on this soundtrack at the same time as she was working on Front Mission. Um, she was asked to work on them together, and she couldn't really say no because she was asked in front of like Square's vice presidents, <laughs> and so we hear a little bit more about Square's like higher ups being um, instrumental in some of our composers doing some of their best work. But even though she was overworked, and even though Front Mission wasn't really, it was an RPG, but it wasn't a fantasy. So again, it wasn't really what she wanted to do. But I feel like when she was approached to do this. I couldn't find, again, a whole lot of actual direct commentary from her about it, but think about it. She's been at Square now for less than three years, and Square takes this huge gamble on adapting Nintendo's, like, like it's the character that saved video games. Mario saved video games in the 1980s. He's the poster child, not just for Nintendo, but for the whole medium of video games, and they're going to take that and adapt it into an RPG. Mario had not been super fleshed out as a universe at this point, and it never really has, again, to this level, like to this, um, you, you see a little bit of it in like the Paper Mario series, the Mario and Luigi series, uh, because again, those are RPGs, but this world that's made in Super Mario RPG is really, really cool, and it feels so real, and it feels lived in. Like, it feels like this is the history we never knew about. And I feel like her compositions... I like Paper Mario Thousand Year Dwarf, where it's got all those villages with different types of toads and mm -hmm. different, like, new species. Yeah. It sort of, like, fleshes out the Paper Mario world. Yep. Makes it a little more, uh, not as two-dimensional. <laughs> another, another um, going back to what you were saying about Mario... Uh, I feel like Nintendo is sort of, like, a pretty big face for gaming in general. Mm -hmm. To the point where people actually just, like, call game systems Nintendos. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I saw a thing a while back. I saw this, this poster that looks like official Nintendo. It says, there's no such thing as a Nintendo. There's the Nintendo Entertainment System. There's Nintendo Game Software. 
and there's Nintendo Power Magazine, but there's no such thing as a Nintendo. You see, Nintendo is an adjective, not a noun. It's our registered trademark and identifies the high-quality products marketed and licensed by Nintendo of America Incorporated. So please use our trademark carefully and never use it generally to describe all video game products. We thank you. Mario thanks you, Nintendo. <laughs> I wonder if that is real. I'm trying to zoom in. Copyright 1990, Nintendo of America Incorporated. Wow. And I guess around 90, that was when like the Sega Master System and the Genesis were out, and so people were calling them Nintendos, and yeah, yeah, I was there. I remember. <laughs> but... So yeah, as you were saying, Nintendo was like the face of video games. And so Shimomura, who's been at Square for three years, is tasked to, by herself, compose the score for this, this. this big joint effort by Square and Nintendo to represent Mario in his first role-playing game. No pressure, right? No pressure. <laughs> but she just... Man, she knocked it out of the park. And I love this track. This is the track that plays in the Mushroom Kingdom when you first go there. And the Mushroom Kingdom is only one of several different places in this game. And we'd never really been there before. Like, on all of his adventures, Mario is out, like, in the wilderness. He's not ever actually in the kingdom itself. So this is the first time that we hear music while we're in the Mushroom Kingdom. And... It's really cool. It's got this sort of parade-style march going on, and it's actually used at the end in, like, the victory parade. This serves as, like, the basis for, for that. So, um, there were a few other Mario RPG themes that you could have chosen from. Uh, why do you think you like this one so much? Um, I just liked its march style. It's it's nice, upbeat sort of thing. You used the word bouncy while we were, we were bouncy, listening. Bouncy, yes. And you... You said that, uh, Shukapao said that um, this theme is really familiar, uh, and you said that you have heard this somewhere else, like outside. So, yeah, if anybody knows, like, if this is used in anything other than Mario RPG uh, that is relatively well-known, let us know. But, yeah, really cool stuff. I definitely, kind of like I said for Mitsuda last week, you could check out pretty much the whole soundtrack to any of these games that we're playing from, and it's going to be fun stuff. But as I mentioned, she really, really wanted to work on fantasy RPG. And finally, over the next few years, she got her wish. After Mario RPG in 1996, she composed for Two Ball Number One, uh, also in 96, and then she took a little bit of a break, uh, probably from being overworked so much, and she wrote her first soundtrack for the PlayStation 1, which is Parasite Eve. Now, I almost picked a track from Parasite Eve. It's a very different soundtrack. Shimomura actually says that she had some trouble with it, even though she didn't have as many restrictions software-wise as she had before because she was working on the PS1. The, the compositions, she had to kind of rein in her natural instincts a little bit because it's a little more ambient, it's more subdued, it's darker. Now, we do have a Parasite Eve track later on because... Or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because I mostly compose battle themes in my specialty. Yeah, and so if you're having to do like this ambient... Parasite Eve is sort of a horror thriller sci-fi game. And so, you know, if you had to compose something like that, it'd be, it'd be tough. And uh, we do have a Parasite Eve track later on that came back up in one of its sequels. But after Parasite Eve, the very next year in 1999, 
Shimamura got to compose her first full-on fantasy soundtrack. Of all of her compositions, Shimamura considers the soundtrack to Legend of Mana the one that best expresses herself, and the soundtrack remains Shimamura's personal favorite of all of hers. Her score revisited nearly every style that she had previously touched on in her work. Um, there were town themes, uh, power rock battle themes like Megalomania. There were like these soothing pieces that would sort of, you know, you could hear come back up in Kingdom Hearts later on. Powerful orchestrations and an ethnic influence vocal track, The Song of Mana, which I almost picked. But instead, I went with the title theme. So we are going to be listening to Legend of Mana from Legend of Mana, published by Square for the PlayStation 1 in 1999. That was the title theme from 1999's Legend of Mana, published by Square for the PlayStation 1. Shukapau, what did you think of that song? Well, I feel like... I feel like a bit of backstory is needed here for my explanation. Um, my title theme was one of the first tracks I composed for Aura, a game that I'm working on with RJ along with a couple battle themes. It's alright, it has a good melody, it's got some okay percussion, but I want to compose a theme, a, 
title theme like the Smash Bros. ones or like Chrono Trigger that people can associate with this really cool animation. Something that's like hard and driving. Not necessarily sweeping big and sweeping and grand like this. Mm -hmm. It's really good though. This reminded me a lot of uh, Scars of Time from Chrono Cross that we played last week that I think was uh, Skeletroy's favorite track that we played. <laughs> and it's... It's got that same sort of, the opening is a little bit slower, it's more somber, it's a little dark, you can almost hear like an opening credits type thing, and then it just sort of blooms into this big orchestral thing. And I really feel, I wanted to play this track because I could hear Shimura finally getting the chance to open up and spread her wings and compose what she's wanted to compose for the last 11 years since she started working for Capcom. And it's just, it's magnificent. And this whole soundtrack is really, really amazing. I encourage everybody to go out and, and listen to it. And it, it's, it's a far cry, just sound-wise. You, you can't... Skeletor talked a little about this last time, too. He says he has trouble deciding between Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross as far as which soundtrack is his favorite, but he thinks he has to land on the side of Chrono Cross just because the sounds are so much purer and better and cleaner. And I told him that for sound quality, it's hard for me to argue, but for composition, I still have to fall on the side of Trigger because it's so creative and it's sort of that whole, you know, the, the dilemma of video gaming. Do limitations really make for better compositions? because you can't rely as much on the sounds of the instruments themselves. It's all about the melodies and, and how it's going to stick with you. But here we see that Shimamura can really... She can flourish in both, you know, both atmospheres. Yeah. You and I are working a little bit more now on FL, and I'm, I'll be curious as you start to get more experience and use more uh, instruments, do you think that you might you know, fall into that same that same thing because you have band background. You know what classical orchestral music sounds like. But you also all of your compositions so far Yeah, all of your compositions so far though have been in MIDI and so you don't have the sounds of the instruments to fall back on. You have to make sure that your compositions are good and solid. Yeah. Are you glad that you kind of that that's been your first experience as a composer is having to deal with that? Yeah. Um but you know, a title a title theme is a very it's a very important part of a video game. A title, you want to have a good title track so that, you know, when the player opens up the game and they hear just the first experience, something like Hollow Knight or Chrono Trigger mm -hmm. or something or like Mega Man Dearly 3. Dearly Beloved for Kingdom Hearts. Or yeah, the Mega Man 3 title. Something like Mega Man 3. You just open the game, there's, there's no introduction, just... The Capcom logo and and then it's perfectly timed. With Your voice the was doing Mega that, that NES warble. That's that was really good. <laughs> and it just flashes the Mega Man three and the It's just Mega Man 3's title theme is phenomenal. It really is. And we played quite a few title themes on and this show. Our first episode was title themes. Yeah. That's and that's that's just a game has to have a good title theme, even if it isn't like that great of a game like <coughs> Mega Man Three. <laughs> yeah. Well, has, I mean, it still has really good music and a really good like. We played one of the first uh, 
um, one of the first things that we played on this show in our title themes episode was the Pictionary title theme yeah. <laughs> composed by Tim Ballin, which is fantastic. And then the game is just meh. <laughs> but you got something like yeah. Crazy Bus where you know, oh gosh, both aspects. I Although Siva Gunner, Siva Gunner did an amazing Crazy Bus cover. I definitely encourage everybody to check it out. Somehow, Siva Gunner made Crazy Bus sound good, um, but. Oh, we're going to talk a little more, but we really need to kind of move on because um, we're we're getting into the uh, the hour mark here of just our vocals. So, uh, and we're just halfway through. So, go ahead, go ahead. One more thing. Um, I don't want you to forget what you were going to say. I actually saw some crazy bus gameplay uh, a while ago. It's just it's like I'm not even sure what it is. You just <laughs> like. There's, it's, it feels unfinished. It just feels <laughs> like half a game. <laughs> well, the title track definitely sounded like they just threw a bunch of random things into a mixer, and this is what came out. So. The sound of well, someone banging their head against the yes. Yep. <laughs> That's one of the Siva Gunner comments. Said. It feels, feels much better. It, it sounds, it actually sounds kind of good if you take your headphones out. <laughs> that was your, yeah, the first official comment that you made as very good music on YouTube. Oh, man. But. Plug it. Plug it. Plug it. Plug the YouTube. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you can find us on YouTube where we post uh, playlists of all of our episodes, and you can go back and look at all of our episodes. I have heard recently that the sound quality is better if you listen through a podcatcher, but we do have some cool little visuals and stuff, especially on our earlier episodes. They go along with. I think my favorites. Um, visuals that I've done for any of these are the two-part Mega Man versus uh, Mega Man 2 versus Mega Man 3 episode and then the Mega Man X versus Mega Man X 3 episode. Those you definitely want to watch on YouTube because there's some cool stuff there. Seamless but transition. go find us on YouTube. Very nice. Uh, last thing I'll say about Legend of Mana is just this quote that came from Yoko Shimomura in 2002. I kept saying I wanted to work on a fantasy and this title finally came around. I really had fun with it. I tried hard to make it fit the style of the game and to express myself. I have devotion to all my soundtracks, so it would be very difficult for me to choose the best one. If I must, it would be Legend of Mana. I think it best expresses myself. And with that, we're actually going to jump ahead 10 years, and we're going to go from a title theme to a final boss theme, yet again. In the intervening years, she actually got her first experience on a Final Fantasy game, composing for Hataraku Chocobo for the Wonderswan Color. <laughs> uh, she then, in 2002, composed her breakout hit, Kingdom Hearts, that really kind of got her on the map. If Mario RPG and Street Fighter 2 laid the groundwork for it, Kingdom Hearts is what really brought her into, like, it made her world famous. Um, in 2003, she did the first Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga game for Alpha Dream, um, which has sadly gone under since then, so the future of the Mario & Luigi franchise is kind of uncertain, but Shimomura has composed the soundtrack for every single game, so if the series continues, it is uh, likely that she will compose on it. 
She has also been involved with every Kingdom Hearts sequel since then, and there were several between um, Legend of Mana and the game we're moving to next. Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, Kingdom Hearts 2, Kingdom Hearts RE Chain of Memories, which was a, <laughs> a revision, and then in 2009, the same year as she did this one, Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days, which is the most confusing video game title ever. Wow. Kingdom Hearts series is crazy. That's the title right there. Kingdom Hearts what? Kingdom Hearts 358-2 slash days. I think it's 358 over 2 days. I'm really not... I don't know. I don't know. I looked it up once, but it didn't make sense to me, like most of the Kingdom Hearts plots. <laughs> right now. She also composed Mario & Luigi Partners in Time in 2005, and she was involved in a couple of other compilations, uh, Pop Music 13, Monster Kingdom Jewel Summoner, which I referenced last week, um, The Legend of Mana sequel Heroes of Mana in 2007, and Luminous Arc 2, which Yasunori Matsuda worked on the first Luminous Arc game, so more of a connection there. But in 2009... She also um, contributed a track to Pop and Music 17, the movie, as I mentioned the absurdly named Kingdom Hearts 358 over two days came out this year. And also the game we're going to be featuring next, and the one track that I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt you were going to bring to this episode. Yeah. What are we going to be listening to next? Our next track from Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story is in the final or the grand finale. had Megalovania, we had this. Yes. That was the grand finale or in the final from Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. Yes, this was published by Nintendo and developed by Alpha Dream for the Nintendo DS 
in 2009. Yep. I grew up with the extra note on the end of that, so just the doo doo the most because of yes because of the 3ds or the XL. Because no, because we had the DSI. DSI, yeah, DSI XL. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And we never had this game. But uh, this is actually, I think 2009 was the year that we got our DSi. So I don't Did know why. Inside Story? I just said we've never had this game. I mean, I mean, any Mario and Luigi games, I mean. Uh, we have, on the Wii U, we have Mario and Luigi Superstar Saga, the original. Oh. Yeah, so. Cool. Uh, but that's the only one. And, but. The, these the soundtracks here are all great. Mario and Luigi, even more than Paper Mario, really harkens back to Mario RPG, both in like the sound style and also in like just the story and the humor and everything. And well, I mean, Shimomura has a lot to do with it, obviously. But <laughs> good stuff, good stuff. And yeah, this. Do you think it's safe to say this is your favorite Yoko Shimomura track? Maybe. <laughs> I mean. There's also Beware the Forest Mushrooms. Oh yeah, and then there's another one coming up soon. So, what do you think it is about this track, Shunkapel? I feel like it's just... I mean, honestly, it's the same kind of thing as Megalovania. And Megalomania? <laughs> <laughs> you just got this really intense final boss theme. Yeah. I feel like... And I, I, I feel like all three of these are just, like, in different contexts. Because Megalovania, you're the bad guy. Uh, in Bowser's Inside Story, it's like... Bowser is like a yeah. Like he's a he's your arch nemesis. Chaotic, chaotic neutral, maybe. Yeah, I would say probably chaotic he's neutral. A chaotic neutral. And I have I have no idea what what, what live alive, live alive, live alive. Yeah, I mean you're fighting an actual like big bad there, like a universal big bad, but uh, you're actually fighting a universal big bad in this one too, Dark Bowser. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, who's also kind of a rival? Hmm. Maybe we can find some good Dark Bowser music uh, to play on our next Rival episode. Rivals, Rogues, and <laughs> Frenemies, episode three. <laughs> uh, so I want to do um, a Five Finger Fan for episode two. Like, oh yeah, definitely. We have more than enough to, to, like to do. So but um, well, So Shimomura said about this, that before I started composing these games, it was quite challenging to get the image of Mario and Luigi in these games. It was therefore quite difficult to start writing the music, but I gradually persevered to create quite light soundtracks. However, there are plenty of darker elements too, especially in the Bowser-focused third game, which is the one we're talking about. Uh, there were so many limits in audio capacity and whatnot before the PlayStation years, and therefore I was forced not to use certain things. I'm very happy now that I have the freedom to compose any type of music. However, the DS device is still a big challenge that I worked hard to overcome in the Mario and Luigi RPGs. And I think she did a great job. Like we talked about Mitsuda and what he could get out of the SNES. It's really impressive that she was able to get this out of the DS. Like, this is really, really great sounding stuff. Yeah, stuff like Mystery Dungeon does the same thing. Yeah. Because, um... Uh, Blue Rescue Team. That that would be interesting if we did like what are some of like the best sounding soundtracks on different systems. Yeah. That would be really stuff that'd like be Chrono interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Or like Silver Surfer on the NES. I was about to. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Mario and Luigi is part of the like Mario Mario canon. Like, yes. Mario yeah. Canon. RPG is not, uh, but I believe that Mario and Luigi is part of the main like Mario canon. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mentioned a little bit mentioned a little bit earlier that we are going to be playing a Parasite Eve song, and the very next year after Mario and Luigi Bowser's Inside Story, 
Shimamura composed for a game called The Third Birthday. 2010 was a busy year for her. Uh, this was when Xenoblade Chronicles came out. She also com uh, composed Kingdom Hearts Coded and Kingdom Hearts Recoded. She composed two really, really great soundtracks, Last Ranker and Radiant Historia. Uh, they didn't quite make the list tonight, but Radiant Historia also is a game that I've always wanted to pick up and play. It looks really, really good. It's got a time travel mechanic, like Live Alive and like, uh, well, I don't know if Live Alive actually has time travel, but, but like Chrono Trigger, so it's, it's really cool. But then, um, in 2010, she also composed The Third Birthday, which is the third game in the Parasite Eve series. Mm -hmm. She composed this along with two composers who she actually asked to work on this with her. She learned about them in her work as a freelancer. She left Square, I mentioned, back um, several years before this, right around a time, I think, I think Kingdom Hearts was the last game she composed for Square as a Square employee, although she did continue to work with them a lot over the years. But... Um, she returns to Square again uh, for um, the third birthday, uh, which, again, third game in the Parasite Eve series. And we're going to be listening to a song that she arranged herself for this game from the original Parasite Eve. The song is called Primal Eyes. We're going to listen to the actual title of the song on the album is Primal Eyes for the Third Birthday. That was Primal Eyes for the Third Birthday, from the game The Third Birthday, the third in the Parasite Eve series, published by Square Enix and released for the PlayStation Portable in 2010. Shukapow. 
What are your thoughts? Dang. That was a bang. <laughs> this is like like Ultra Instinct Yoko Shimomura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nah, this, this was really, really good stuff. And the original Primal Eyes was also very good. But this just with the orchestration and everything. And I really love the juxtaposition between like the that like metal guitar and then the classical piano, you know, because you set them beside each other and they're very different, but because of that, they complement each other in a really cool way, like strawberries and cheese. Or um, music and video games. Yeah, not exactly. But anyway, <laughs> but it's really cool because it like, you know, marries two different worlds of Shimamura's experience. The music for the third birthday was, once again, also composed by uh, Mitsudo Suzuki and Tsuyoshi Sakita with Shimomura coming back to basically mostly do rearrangements and remixes of her original work from the first Parasite Eve. Um, she actually specifically asked for the other two when she was asked to compose for the title because she was involved in a lot of different projects, as we mentioned, and she knew that she would need some help. So I think it's really cool that she's like, you know, that she understands when she can't necessarily do everything at once and doesn't work herself sick like Mitsuda did in his early days. <laughs> so this is coming off of the grand finale two songs that i'd say go pretty well together both of them are kind of kind of intense and hard rocking i have no idea when in the game this takes place i don't i at one point i did look up what parasite eve was about but i don't remember and i'm not gonna try right now because it would just be me like reading a script off a page so <laughs> now i'm before we move to the next game, we're about to jump almost another 10 years ahead. And Shimomura has not stopped working at this time. She's still doing a lot of stuff. So I just read off all of the things that she did in 2010. In 2011, there was actually only one game she was involved with, and she was involved with a lot of other people. This is a title that will be familiar to you. Uh, Half-Minute Hero, The Second Coming. Yeah, Yasunori Matsuda was yeah. also on that one, and actually, yeah. I believe in 2012 she did Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance, one of the more clever 3DS like title puns. She composed one song called Azazel del Cielo Ardiente for the game Demon Score, and this song is really cool. It was on my short list, so definitely y'all check that out. Uh, 2013, more Mario & Luigi and Kingdom Hearts. She did Dream Team in the Mario & Luigi series, and Kingdom Hearts X, or Kai, that might be, not sure. She contributed a song to another Mana sequel in 2014, Rise of Mana, and was also involved as a DLC bonus composer in the game Terra Battle, just like Yasunori Mitsuda. Again, Uematsu composed most of this track, uh, the soundtrack. Shimomura came in and added three tracks when they met their first stretch goal, and then Matsuda came in and contributed a final track when they uh, reached another stretch goal. Most notably moving forward in 2015, she composed what is, up to this point, the last uh, non-remake title in the Mario & Luigi series, which is Mario & Luigi Paper Jam. 
I also like to take a moment, and during this time, Shimomura released a couple of different compilation albums. Uh, the first was Dramatica, and the second is uh, Memoria. And both of these were basically their arranged versions of her compositions. And Memoria specifically, which was released in 2014, has a lot of variety on it. It's a really, really cool soundtrack. In fact, the music you heard while we were talking after Legend of Mana, that really cool remake, was from that album. And the uh, Megalomania cover from Live Alive was also from that album. So really cool stuff on Memoria. In 2014, she also played piano at a retrospective 25th anniversary concert at Tokyo FM Hall, performing her own songs from Kingdom Hearts, Live Alive, Street Fighter 2, and this was actually the concert I mentioned last week where when she played Beware the Forest Mushrooms, she was joined on stage by none other than Yasunori Matsuda playing the Irish Mizuki. So, then in 2016, this is when Final Fantasy 15 came out. We've been talking about it a lot, almost had a song from this game on the list. There were several other composers involved in that soundtrack, but um, Shimomura was definitely the lead composer. Once again, if you're interested in hearing a lot of what she did there, go check out uh, the recent episode by the Super Mercado Bros, where they go through several of her songs in this soundtrack. One fun fact about Final Fantasy XV, this game came out in 2016, Shukpao, if you had to guess, when do you think she started composing the music for Final Fantasy XV? A decade before it was was released, because I can I, I have eyes and I can read. Yeah, but you were looking ahead. You weren't even looking at the. Uh, you already looked at it, didn't you? <laughs> I'm psychic. I didn't know yeah, she actually started composing the music for Final Fantasy XV in 2006. So she worked on this for a long time. <laughs> And all right, so moving on ahead, we are now in 2017, another big year for Yoko Shimomura. She worked on Kingdom Hearts 0.2 Birth by Sleep, A Fragmentary Passage, which is almost as convoluted a title as 358 over two days. A couple more remakes, Radiant History, A Perfect Chronology, a couple of Mario and Luigi remakes, which they didn't remake the second game. But they did remake Mario & Luigi Superstar Saga and Mario & Luigi Bowser's Inside Story. Finally, in 2019, this is where we are going to move to our next song. It is not from Kingdom Hearts 3, which came out that year and has a lot of amazing music in it. Instead, we're actually going to go back almost a decade before we jump back to 2019. In 2010, one of the games that came out was Xenoblade Chronicles. Wow which she composed along with Yasunori Matsuda and Ace Plus. And in 2019, Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition dropped on the Switch. And this is a... Uh, I didn't actually play it until this year, 2021, but this is the version of the game that you and I eventually played and that I eventually beat. Ha. And RJ is playing it. The only reason he hasn't beaten it is because of all the side quests. <laughs> well, she came back and um, actually uh, several of the composers came back and they actually did um, orchestrated versions of some of their original tracks. And one of these orchestrated versions is the next song that we are going to play on the playlist. Shukapau, what is your last pick of the episode? Colony 9 from Xenoblade Chronicles.
Chicago uh, 9, Zine Boy Chronicles Definitive Edition. Yeah. Published by Nintendo and made by Monosoft for Switch in 2019. Um, All right. PlayStation or Xbox. Nintendo Wii. <laughs> Words. Yeah. And stuff. I can talk. Talk about Colony 9. Colony 9 uh, is gone, I think. Why do you think so? Because the guy got killed by the robots. That was Colony 6. Yeah, but Colony 9, Colony 9 got invaded at the beginning of the game, right? <laughs> and Fiora got, got killed. How far did you get? I'm, I'm still at the same part. Oh, oh, with Zord, okay. Well, it got invaded, but the colony's still there. Like, you can go back. Like, the people still live there. The, the, the Mechon all left after what happened with Fiora. So, but yeah, Colony Nine. It it sure is exists. This is where where Shulk and Ryan and, and Fiora are from, and uh, and Dunban. And Dunban. That's, that's Dunban, Dunban over, over there. there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's where they're they're all from. It is a colony below the Bionis's knee. It's like on the Bionis's calf or chin or something. It's way down there on, on the lower leg. And the Bionis, for anybody who doesn't remember where last time we talked about Cineblade, is this giant, like, continent-sized humanoid figure where Shulk and a lot of other people live. And yeah, Colony 9, that's, this is like your, this is your Arcadia, this is your Garden of Innocence in the game. It's where you... You grow up, and then it's invaded by this evil, and you have to start your quest and become the hero. Most of the areas, actually, I think all of the areas where you, like, all the field areas in this game, have both a daytime theme and a nighttime theme. Actually, the town areas, too. I think everywhere, pretty much, has a daytime and a nighttime theme. Wow, just like real life, <clears throat> except just with daytime and nighttime, not music. Yeah, we don't have music playing all the time in real life. That'd be cool. I wonder who would compose it. God. God. <laughs> uh, or maybe Gustav Holst. Anyway. Perhaps. Or maybe Yogo Shimomura. I'd, I'd be down with that. You'd probably want Grant Kirkhope to compose your life. Koji Kondo <laughs> would be a cool life composer. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. If there were a video game version of the game of life, which I'm sure there is, I wonder who composed it. We're really getting off on a tangent here. So yeah, Colony 9 has both daytime and a nighttime theme. This is the daytime theme that we are playing. Why do you like this track so much? Because you love this track, like yeah, a lot. It's really cool, like running around the starting area and killing all the things and jumping off cliffs and dying. <laughs> it's amazing how how long these pieces play in the game, and yet you never get tired of them. Like they're all so good, all the big field things, like this one in Gar Plains, especially and with you know Satori the fight, Marsh, the fight theme playing every. I should really... Alright, uh, quit to menu. I gotta go get the Xenoblade game <laughs> card now. We definitely don't have time for you to start Xenoblade right now. <laughs> but um, I did cave in, and for these last few tracks, we're letting Chukapau play Hollow Knight while we, we talk. Starting Steel Soul Run. The last one, got, I got killed by Flukemar somehow. What is a Steel Soul Run? It's basically hardcore. Right? Gotcha, so you're doing like a, like a Hollow Knight's Nuzlocke. I mean, basically, but it's not self-imposed rules. It's a mode that's actually in the game. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. 
There's not really a hardcore mode in Xenoblade Chronicles. There is New Game Plus, which I could start, but I have so many other games I need to play first. New Game Plus can be uh, really cool. I think I think Xenoblades is more of like a god mode type thing where you just keep all your stats. Yeah, it really is. It's how you can start beating up on these like hundred plus level critters. It's <laughs> it's crazy business, man. But it's oh, it's so fun. I really want to get back in this game and finish the uh, extra quest that's in Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition because I never did. The epilogue. Yeah, I also need to finish Pokemon. New Pokemon Snap, which apparently they released some new new areas for. Speaking of Pokemon, I have like all of the Pokemon runs going on. Um, and I need to play some Final Fantasy X and X2. Let's see, I've got I've got White Two uh, with only Gift Pokemon. I've got um, I've got a Leaf Green Nuzlocke. I've got a Pearl Nuzlocke. I and still then, uh, have that that one Heart Gold run I'm doing. The Lemon Boy really wants me to play Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition. I've no, not Definitive Edition. Cage of Calamity. Pokemon Shield solo, no, not solo, duo run. And Bowser's Fury wants me to play that because he got it for his birthday. I I already 100% Bowser's Fury. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very fun. That's cool. I should, I should um, do that next. It shouldn't take too long. And I've still got that Soul Silver Mono Water run. Well, pretty soon, the next game I'm going to buy is going to come out, and it's Turtles uh, Shredder's Revenge. Yeah. Yeah. I got like seven Pokemon games to play. Well, there's a lot of Colony 9 to play under our talking bed, but we've uh, already, you were right, that last segment was actually pretty long. So uh, we're going to cut this one a little bit short. Xenoblade Chronicles music is good. Everybody yes. everybody should play the game and listen to the music, and yeah. it's, it's really good. But now we are going to move to our last song of the show. And next we are going to be playing from the most recent game that Shimamura composed for. This is a Korean MMORPG. MMORPG. Yeah, massively multiplayer online RPG. I have yet to find a good MMORPG. Yeah, maybe one of these days you're out and you don't, you don't have to share your bandwidth with like five other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I do want to mention that she contributed to Streets of Rage 4. Uh, she composed the theme Shiva, which is really, really cool. Several fun composers came and joined in on this one. Um, but... The game that we're going to be playing out with is Gran Saga, G-R-A-N, Gran Saga. This is the title theme, I believe. It's called Ahead of Destiny, and this includes a vocal performance by the K-pop star Taeyeon of the band Girls' Generation. Let's give it a listen, and we'll talk about it a little bit when we come back.
That was Ahead of Destiny from Gran Saga, composed by Yoko Shimomura, as was everything else in the show tonight, and performed by Taeyeon. This was published by InPixel, and is being published actually by InPixel for mobile devices, and it's so a little confusing. The beta, I believe, launched actually in 2020 or possibly 2019 in Korea. And I believe that it actually moved to some other markets this year and is supposedly going to be getting a Western release in 2022. All right. So, what do you think of that as a way to end the episode? That is, um, yeah, that's, that's good. It's a good track. It's pretty epic. Sweeping. Uh, you mentioned title themes earlier in uh, earlier in the episode about how important they are to setting the tone of the game. You think this would make for a pretty impressive intro? Yes. Yeah, I think it's pretty pretty cool. And uh, Shimomura said in an interview when she was revealed as the composer for this game that the beautiful graphics and vibrant lore of the game uh, contributed to the overall feeling and theme of this title track. Now. From what I have heard, the gameplay is still... There's a lot of bugs they still need to work out, but the game does look really good, and uh, most of the lore is not in English, so it might be a little hard to follow, but if you're interested, you can you can go look it up, I'm sure, and Google Translate will be your friend. But that is going to close the book on our showcase of the Queen of VGM, Yoko Shimomura. Chukapau. Have you enjoyed this episode? Yes. What do you think was your favorite track? Hmm. It's probably Colony 9. Colony 9? So between Colony 9 and uh, the grand finale, and yeah, I guess it would be between those for you. I think my favorite... Or Megalomania. Uh, Megalomania was a lot of fun. 
It's really hard to beat Hello Happy Kingdom. It's just such a bouncy, fun track. Yeah. Uh, Vegas theme is also just, it's a classic. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of really, really, there was a lot of what on tonight's episode, Chukapow? Very good music. Yeah. <laughs> that was nice uh, dynamism there. You getting all up close to the mic and talking all quiet like. Good stuff. Hey, it's been good to have you back on these episodes. I had missed recording with you. I am indeed here. Zhukapau is actually not going to be with me on the next couple of episodes. We are going to have a couple of special guests, uh, hosts of other shows, parts of other uh, networks, who are going to be joining me to talk about some of their favorite composers. I've already mentioned Yuzo Koshiro. I think I'm going to leave the other one a total surprise, um, and I'm not going to mention yet who we're going to be talking to, uh, but we will definitely be um, playing that up both on, uh, on this episode and on their social media. Yeah, so next couple of episodes, it's going to be me and a friend. And Chukapau is actually going to be either probably working on homework or at a football game or something while we're recording. But then, episode five, after those two episodes, we are going to be coming back with Dusk Lights. And we're going to be talking about some of our favorite composers who maybe haven't done a whole lot. Well, Dusk is going to be talking about Toby Fox, who is totally not lesser known, but... That's not a Toby Fox song. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be talking about the the Bug Knight story paper game. Yeah. What's it called? Bug Paper Mario. It's Bug Fable. Yeah. And who's the composer? Tristan Ulrich. And he's very, very good at musicing. So Toby Fox, Tristan Ulrich, and I am going to be bringing compositions from Lena Rain who most popular for Celeste also has done some other some other things we'll be we'll be playing some songs from her most recent work Chicory a colorful tale and yeah that's going to be lots of fun and you know what we're um going to be going a little bit faster clip this season at least for these first few weeks i think we're going to be dropping like an episode a week for a little while so it's going to be a lot of fun packing a lot into this season and let me see um think talked about what's coming up and we already mentioned earlier that you can find us on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search Very Good Music VGM and you will find our channel. You can also find us on Twitter. Uh, I am at VGMPod. And I am at ShootGapow. You can join our Discord server. Link is in the show notes. We have some, some fun chat and conversation over there. And you can also find ShootGapow's music, which we're going to be looking at a little bit later this season. And where can they find your music, Shukapal? On flat.io at Lloyd Irving for Smash. Yeah, so you can go and look up that title theme that Shukapal talked about earlier, which he's going to be doing some work on, but it's still, it's up it's up there, right? Yeah, I'm also working on some other things. I've got an ending theme. I've got, um, I'm not going to say too much, but it's uh, another Pokemon, Pokemon battle theme. After that, I got a cool little idea from one of the comments on one of my uh, one of my tracks. I'm gonna be composing a paper man. Ooh, nice! I like it. Yeah, you've been doing some uh, some mega music. 
which will definitely be be bringing some of that when we talk about that later this season. I remember what I was going to say a second ago. I'm not sure whether to bring Circuit Man or Swamp Man. I like Swamp Man's a lot more Mega Man like than Circuit Man. Well, let's see. Let's see what you have a little bit closer to when we do the bonus, and we'll we'll figure it out. But I was going to say that on the same day that this episode drops, Saturday, September eighteenth, a long-awaited arrival is going to be dropping at least online. I'm not sure where all it's going to be released, but Chukapow, what is Toby Fox giving us this Saturday? <laughs> Dusk is in here reading, but hasn't been following the conversation. Dusk, do you want to tell the microphone in kind of a raised voice what Toby Fox is giving to us this Saturday? Delta Rune Chapter 2! Yeah! Yeah. So hey, you'll have some new music to bring when when you come. Yo! (laughs) Dusk, you gotta bring the Battle Tower theme from Sword and Shield, because it's really good. Alright, so, uh, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, as always, to our patrons and our lovely artists and all of our friends of the show. Uh, we really appreciate every single one of you. It's been a blast hanging out with you uh, for all of these episodes. I was talking to Shukapow, and if you count our bonus episodes, I think that this that we're recording right now is episode 45. So we're coming up on 50 episodes, which is really crazy to me. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's... Yeah, it's just really kind of insane. Um, So, thank you so much. We would not have lasted this long without your support and your feedback. So, really appreciate you. And before we wrap up, there is one more thing I would like to read from an interview with Yoko Shimomura that I thought was really cool. Uh, Showcased some of her humility and is just, I think, a fitting way to, um, to round up our chat about her. In this interview, the uh, interview team said, You're most likely the most famous female video game music composer in the world. Is it harder for women to become successful in the video game music industry? Shimomura laughs and says, I'm really surprised that you call me the most famous female video game music composer in the world. We Japanese work at our small home studios every day, always in front of our computers. We don't realize that our music has such a worldwide range. I don't feel like a video game music superstar at all. Obviously, it took me about 20 years to gain some attention. I just did my best. Well, her best was certainly good enough for me and for a lot of other VGM fans out there. So, I doubt that you will ever hear this, but if you do, Shimamura-san, thank you so much for your contribution to the world of VGM. I guess... That's going to be it. Am I forgetting anything? No. All right. Well, until next time, play very good games. Very good people. And keep listening to Very very Good Music. Hidden Temple, the Legend of Zelda, 
a link to the smash. Oh, you're still recording. <laughs> Blooper reel. Dang, that was a banger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we found a way to go even harder than on uh, Bowser's Fury. Not Bowser's Fury. That's a new game. Go even further beyond. Uh... This is like like Ultra Instinct Yoko Shimomura. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give me a second, we can edit this out. I'm eating apple slice. Yes, you are. Apples, strawberries, corn of the candy variety. Yes. <laughs> but no Nintendo Switch with Hollow Knight. Nope, sorry about that. I'm, I'm such a mean dad. I will say that... Super Jenkin, then tell Bunchin Jubin. Let's not click while I'm talking, okay? Shukapau has to change the M to a V here because he just, just likes messing with stuff. Hey, thank you. Ah, no, that's a lowercase. Uh, okay. Megalo. Published by Square for the PlayStation 1 in night. My squeaky chair here. In 1999. <laughs> yes, she actually started writing the music for Final Fantasy. Final Fantasy 15. Final Fantasy 15 in 2000. Final Fantasy 15. Good grief! How many times are we gonna try to say this? <laughs> And stuff. This is not a Koichi Sugiyama episode. This is a Yoko Shimamura episode. <laughs> anyway, Colony 9. And, yeah, so, uh... Um, Colony 9 was actually one of several tracks to be re-recorded with live instruments for the thing of edition. And, you know, Bad Roth already said this, but it was, it was initially released on the movie in 2010. You think this microphone is much more sensitive than it really is? <laughs> <laughs> um, Alright. PlayStation or Xbox? Nintendo Wii! <laughs> Words. Yeah. And stuff. I can talk. Talk about Colony 9. What is a very long talking segment? When are we gonna play the next track? It's actually not that long. We've, most of our segments uh, in this episode have been like seven or eight minutes. <laughs> it just seems long because you really want to get to the next track. I'm almost there. <laughs> yeah. I'm almost there. So. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> but, yeah. So. I just did it again. But yeah, so, and, um, and, yeah, so, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. um, oh, yeah, um, blooper, <laughs> um, 